0: You're listening to the Audacious Leadership Podcast. This interview was recorded by Senior Pastor Glenn Barrett during the coronavirus lockdown of 2020. For any more information about us, head to our website, audaciouschurch.com.
1: Banning. How are we doing, my friend?
0: It's funny you say good evening, Friday night
1: live. I'm like, I'm about to eat lunch. <laughs> I mean, I know there are time differences in the world, but still, yeah, well, it's good to... but you know, this is banning. This is a test of people's friendship with me. You're finding out very quickly. How close of friends are we? <laughs> what level of what level of sacrifice are
0: you willing to do exactly. to further the gospel in the UK? Yes, yeah. I'm with you. Well, listen, I I I would hate for this to be the determining factor because I, 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 I value our friendship at 3 a.m. level.
1: How you doing, man? How's the family? All good?
0: <laughs> yeah. You know, we're like the rest of the world. We're kind of nine weeks into uh, uh, being at home, and it's a little bit of a weird experience because as a pastor, you know this, like you're walking with people who uh, have experienced some loss or are just facing uncertain times or lost their job. And so that part's heavy on my heart. And then, but, but this thing's caused me to be home. I'm not traveling. I'm just at home right now, still working obviously, but just a lot more time with the kids and backyard projects and so, I, I'm doing well, and and the church is doing well. So yeah, it, it's uh, you're in the same boat. Everybody's in the same boat. It's like every day I'm looking for new information coming from our government to go like, how are we navigating this? What am I getting ready for? Trying to plan for all of it. So, but but we're doing well. Family's doing good. Good. Honey. I've got I've got teenagers. So all my friends that have little kids. I don't know if it's like that in the UK right now, but everybody's homeschooling now. Like all yes. the schools. So all my all our friends with little kids are are losing their mind like they're they and my kids are teenagers so my homeschool parenting looks like you're doing work right you're doing, they're like yeah i'm like all right sounds good
1: but listen let's face it right uh, who the heck knows how to home educate your kids these days because the kids come home from primary school with maths or math as you call it and you look at these equations and you think what the heck you know all i know is this I never have used algebra since I left school. So uh, they
0: would bring me home stuff when they're in elementary. And I would think, like, I'm a sharp guy. I'm an intelligent guy. I know I learned this. I know I learned this in school at one time. But I have no idea how to help you at all. And I can't even Google it
1: because I'm looking at Google and I don't. I, I can't help you. So, yes, I feel the same way. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's crazy. And, can, mate, can you imagine – the pressure that must be on the leaders of the United States right now—you know—the pressures on the leadership of, of Great Britain. I mean, it's, it must be immense to try to walk a whole nation through through this pandemic. It's it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, it's why I'm trying to tell
0: people to have a little bit more grace. I mean, obviously, you know, Americans are different than Brits around um, some of our passion for you know certain freedoms and stuff, but. I am like, listen, man. I these guys. I mean, can you imagine? I'm trying to lead my home through this. I'm trying to lead a church through this. Right. I can't imagine the decisions that you have to make that affect people's um, a livelihood and their homes and and their and their lives. And yeah, I just, I, I yeah. Ed, when we mention this, it's same in le- it's it's the same in government, but in church, I've been in full time ministry for 25 years. Yeah. And and I'm a guy that is on the phone with other people who are further down the road than I am to gain wisdom in situations that I will find myself in. So whatever it may, maybe it's something I'm dealing with or adding another service, dealing with a relationship, whatever it is. And I'm just on the phone going, Hey, what'd you guys do? And how'd you handle this first time in 25 years that I've never been able to get on the phone and call somebody and say, what did you do? Oh, well, it's not happened in our lifetime. Has it? Everybody's like, I'm like, what'd you do? They're like, well, I'm like, what are you doing? They're like, I don't know. What are you doing? I don't know. (laughs) Like, so, so I can only imagine if leading churches like that, it's got to be the same way in governmental circles. Like they're not, you're not calling people. Hey, listen, whenever it's just, even the church, I was thinking that I'm going to get this wrong, but like the last time some church in Jerusalem closed was 1385 or I I mean some like, my gosh, like it was you know, seven hundred years ago was the was the last time this church shut its doors.
1: Yeah, right. This is just this is just new territory. It totally is. And listen, thinking about leadership weight, the weight of leadership is an unusual thing, isn't it? It's one of those things that you don't really know what it feels like to carry the weight of leadership until you're in a in a situation of doing it. So, so I, I know a little bit about your journey, um, and coming from Bethel and then moving to the Sacramento area to launch, uh, Jesus culture. Yeah, what what was the weight shift like with you? Like, at what point did you wake up and go, Oh my gosh, there's a weight of responsibility of leisure now. And it's different to what it was before. Do you you remember that moment? And and can you explain what leadership weight is?
0: Yeah. I mean, you're dealing with, um, I, I think, well, there's just a sense of responsibility. It's like parenting at some level, uh, that you have a sense of responsibility for people now that you didn't. And the buck stops with you. Like when you finally get to that place where I, the culture that I'm looking at is because of me. I, there's, yeah. that is, there's no excuses. There's nothing else. The, the, what I am leading and the culture I'm looking at is because of me. And then just the weight of responsibility of to family. You know, there's, there's families that we had people move with us. This is when it started hitting me. We had people uproot their lives and move. And now the the history of their family has been changed. They will raise their kids in Sacramento because of a choice I made to do my best to follow Jesus it now So the weight of responsibility understands that my decisions affect people right and just the just the seriousness about that but but I, I think this is what happened for me. You know the weight around for me was I was at Bethel I was on staff there for eighteen years um, uh, you know, helped build the school, did Jesus culture, was on the senior leadership team on the board, like was one of the guys there, but still at my core, when I left, I knew I was part of building that culture, but I didn't build that culture. It was Bill that paid the price for signs and wonders, right? It was, it was Chris that paid the price. Like, They were the ones that carried the financial weight. They were the ones that believed God when it seemed impossible. They were the ones that had to make the decision when when everybody was leaving, when everybody left in the early days and there wasn't money. Do we let people go? Do we hold like I didn't have to make those decisions. So coming down here, the weight that hits you is okay. All right. I can I build culture? Can yeah. I build the culture that is in my heart? Not just be a part of a culture, not just applaud a plot of culture, but can I build a culture? And can I walk through the area, the times of faith that's required to see this thing happen? Because um, – and so that that weight, there's a weight that we feel of just like I have to carry faith for this environment. Like we are going – like God is going to come through for us. He is. We are going to see breakthrough, and it may be the eleventh hour. But staying in that place of faith is a different weight as well. That although although I was cheering it on when I was on the team, I wasn't necessarily having to carry it. If that makes sense?
1: Yeah, it does. It does. Yesterday we ran an online conference for Sems of God in Great Britain, and um, you know it was great. We had. I think we've we've had had over two and a half thousand people join us in the morning to watch yeah, you know the online conference through through the morning. Sure. Afternoon was was more of a closed scenario. We had six hundred odd pastors in a AGM type thing. And I'm going to be honest. When I went home last night, I went home exhausted, tired. Yes, not because of. The workload, it wasn't that. It was just a sense of weight associated yes. with the churches, the, the people who are connected us and different things like that. I wonder, mate, can we, let's just talk about Bethel for a second. Can I ask you yeah. a question about that? What makes Pastor Bill Johnson – give us two or three characteristics of Pastor Bill Johnson that you would say this is what makes him an outstanding pastor, leader. Profit, however you wanted to define yeah. it. What would the top three be for you?
0: I would actually. I would love to talk about Bill because I was with I was with him when he first came. Um, I maybe I think was his first hire, but I was there interning when he came, so I was there right away when things happened, and then was there for eighteen years. And uh, Bill's a unique individual. <laughs> I am extremely grateful for my time with Bill. I fear I, I look at my life and think, oh man, I'd be a mess without him. <laughs> Bill's a Bill's a unique guy. He is very locked in. Um, he doesn't change the subject, first of all. He doesn't change the subject. He has a passion for Jesus, and he has a passion for revival, and, that's, and, and he wants to host the presence of God above all else. He's a very intriguing guy that he's not motivated by ambition. It's very interesting to watch him. He just doesn't care if people show up or don't show up. It is the craziest thing. He he said a statement years ago that sounds cute, but he really means. Mm-hmm. When he said, "I don't," he said, "I want to be known in heaven, and I want to be known in hell. I right. could care less if I'm known on the earth." Wow. He said, "I want to be known in heaven. I want to be known in hell. I could care less if I'm if I'm known on the earth." And you're like, "Oh, that sounds good," but he really genuinely means it. Like, like he he's like, I just he just has this desire. To to host the presence of God, and I mean Bethel. If you if you don't know Bethel, Bethel Sanctuary is only nine hundred people. Right. It's it's not a big sanctuary, and and we had conferences that were selling out months in advance, three months in advance. That nine hundred would sell out, and we have um we have like a a a convention center that holds about twenty five hundred in the city and we're like we got to go to the convention center we got to go to the convention center and bill was just bill never even advertised anything and bill was just like no i really like our sanctuary i i it was just a place where the presence of god is for him like that, that like he was just unwavering it didn't matter if he was making a name for himself it didn't matter if he was building anything he just wanted to to he just wanted to host the presence of god and and he's a guy too that he makes um he would go to the same small church. This is when he's big time. So Bill's big time. Everybody knows him. They're listening to him. He would go to the same small church every year for 15 years and never stop. He is just so locked. Like he just doesn't care. He yeah. doesn't care how many are in the room. He doesn't care how many followers. He, just, he wants to be faithful and obedient. And I remember talking to him. Because I'm a like, dream big. What can God do? You know, like I'm that guy. And I was doing an interview with him for like this TV thing we were doing. And I was asking him about how he balances dreaming big for God and intimacy or something. How do you keep intimacy at the top of it, but dreaming for God? And he just stopped. He goes, you know, I don't think like that at all. He goes, "I don't <laughs> sit. I don't sit around and think. What could God accomplish through my life? What big dreams? He said, I just want to do my assignment. And he said, He said, He said, I wake up every day and I just want to do my assignment. And if my assignment is to stand in front of uh, uh, thousands of people and preach, then that's what I'll do. If my assignment is to pastor a tiny little church in Weaverville, California, with a uh, with the population of 3000 people in the literally in the woods is where he came before he came to Bethel he was going to die there if his assignment's to pastor a small group of people in the mountains that's what he wants to do like he is driven this is what's crazy he's driven he he wants to host the presence of god and he yeah. will not change the subject he does not care if he's known or not known and he wants to do his assignment and that's it he doesn't like he just wants to do his assignment and if his assignment is, um, is, is to write books. He'll write books. His assignment is amazing. And I would say the last thing about him is one of the most authentic, generous men you'll ever meet. Unbelievably generous. Yeah. Like just generous (laughs) and, and very authentic. He's a private guy. He's not a, he's not very, um, you know, he's a, you can sit in a car with him for three hours and he would not say a word. And and I'm not. That's not like exaggerating. You could go on a drive with him, and he may not say something for three hours. But one of the most generous, authentic. I'm talking about. In I'm talking about in private. Never heard him speak negatively about somebody.
1: Well, do you know something? So a few weeks ago, before lockdown, I was. uh, I was. uh, Gosh, maybe three weeks before lockdown started in the UK, I was preaching about attitude, talking about respect, et cetera, on, on our stage. And I was talking about a scenario, and I didn't use Bill's name, but a, a mutual acquaintance of ours sat across the coffee table from Bill and started to have a bit of a negative conversation or try to have a negative conversation with Pastor Bill about someone else. Yep. And Bill was very clear, listen, I don't want to be a part of, the, of that type of thing, which you've got to love. And I remember probably the first time I met Pastor Bill I, afterwards, I, I was in the green room. I had the chance to meet him. And I I walked up to him and I said, um, I said, I have one complaint about your preaching. It's my first comment to him. And he looked at at me with big eyes. I said, can I tell you? He said, "Um," and before he had a chance to reply, I said, my only complaint is this. After every statement you make, if you could just stop, sit down for 10 minutes, we'll bring you a cup of tea and give us a chance to process what you just said. Yeah, listen, he came
0: in um, 1990. Six, I think, and we were. I'm, I'm 20, 20 years old at the time, 19 or something. And I'm, and we would sit every Sunday, and he would teach. And um, and I, I was just like, "How is? I've read the same Bible you're reading. How, how are you getting this out of what you just read?" And and it was, and it made it, it made sense. It wasn't yeah. like some really complicated. Like, yeah, I, think I know what you're saying. He would just unpack the kingdom, and you're like, yeah. "Yeah, why have I never seen that before? That's unreal." And so, but after a while, you're thinking, "Okay, eventually this runs out, right?" Yeah. Two years in, every Sunday. How? What? Five years in? Two
1: it's years like in. it's like we we have to work. We have to work for twenty five minutes. I don't know about you. I have to work for twenty five minutes. To drop the mic and walk away, not past the bill. Every two two minutes, drop the mic, drop the mic, drop the mic. Hey, let me let me change subject slightly and talk about Jesus Culture. Um, you were with you were at Bethel for how many years? Did you say eighteen years or something? Eighteen,
0: okay. longer
1: because I went to youth group there, but I was on staff for eighteen. Right. So, in in which way? Uh, in how has the DNA of what you were in passed into the life of Jesus Culture? So, in what way would you look at Bethel and say, you know what? Because I was a son of that, I was raised in that. That is a true part of the DNA of Jesus' culture, the music, the worship, the way we do our Sunday services, well, small groups, Even the worship, yeah, I'd say a couple of things. And we look different than Bethel.
0: We are a son of the house, and and, and uh, uh, we're, we're a new generation. We, we do look different. But I would say this. Our value for the presence of God and understanding that success is connected to that. Yeah. So it is about the presence of God. We have nothing to offer apart from the presence of God. My preaching, my programs, none of it changes lives. It's His presence in our midst that se- separates us. So I think first and foremost, the core value of His presence would definitely have come with us. Uh, the core value to serve, instantly enough, that that uh, just just to serve people, to serve leaders, to. Um, that's a, that's a big part of it. Honor. Um, uh, we, we, uh, Bethel's a huge culture of honor, but it's not just honor for leaders. It's honor for people. There's just, yes. uh, so, so a, a massive, massive value for honoring people, uh, seeing the best in them, calling out the best in them. Um, and, and then signs and wonders as well would, would obviously be a part of it. But even the worship, the worship is birthed out of a, a passion for the presence of God just period. Like it's like that stuff is coming from a deep, deep core value uh, to host the presence of God and that the presence is what we desire and long for.
1: Yeah. And, uh,
0: you know, Bill would say all these statements like, you know, the church nowadays that the Israelites camped around the presence of God, the American church camps around the sermon. Mm. <laughs> so he would say things like that. That stuff is just constantly ringing in my head. Yeah. like are, are we starting to camp around a, a, a sermon or are we still in the midst of all that we're doing saying what matters is the presence of God and um, and, and that's a, and that's probably yeah the, 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 the presence the kingdom signs and wonders, honor these are the things that if you slice us you'll still find all of that DNA even as it looks a little bit uh, a, a little bit different. I would say this as well. Bill's not worried about his reputation. He just spoke at Hillsong. Okay, I know we're just talking about Bill a lot, but this is, this is interesting. He, so Bill's main thing that he's gotten hit over is people misinterpreting his teaching on that Jesus was fully man, fully God, but that the miracles he did, he did as man, not as God. Right. Because then we have to follow him. If he did him as God, we don't have to follow him. But if he did it as a man, fully submitted to the Holy Spirit, then we can do that as well. So that teaching, for whatever reason, people go off into crazy town with it. So he gets invited to speak at Hillsong recently. He spoke at their Sydney in in London. And I got online to watch it. You know what he teaches? You You know the sermon that he taught? The very thing that like people are skewering over online. I like just thought this guy does not care at all about his reputation. He's not trying to protect anything. And I share that because I think that I hope that we would have brought that with us as well. That yeah. I'm not trying to protect, I'm not trying to mold and shape and protect and keep some reputation and make sure that everything is whatever that we would just be faithful to what God's called us to and the rest will, will handle itself. But I think that that would be a core value that we would have brought with us as well.
1: Brilliant. Um, Well, I mean, let's talk about the crazies out there in this world right now, because you know, where you get a lot of normal, you get a lot of crazy all at the same time. And um, you know, even the whole concept of the hypostatic union, fully God, fully man, of course we believe that Jesus came, he lived fully god but putting on the clothing of yeah. humanity he was in every way man and so yeah that this is this is in a sense is what the early fathers talked about and fought over and argued over and settled on in yeah. the second century so you know you've got the crazies who kind of pick up half a message um misunderstand things etc and certainly you know in the world that we live in with social media we're on social media now you know online church etc 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 uh gosh attacks come from left right and center don't they you know you you have uh, the people stalking you online People sending um, <coughs> letters to your house emails I mean how does Bannon deal with the crazies um the crazies who attack the church the family um and yourself personally what's what's your defense mechanism or coping mechanism within that
0: yeah it's a couple things one I just don 't pay attention to it i'm not saying that arrogantly i i just I come from a line. Of preaching, you know, Nehemiah when they're trying to distract him. He's like, I'm doing a good work. I, I don't have time to go down there. Me and you, we're, we've got so much going on that I just don't, at some level, I'm not saying this arrogantly, I just don't have time. To, to, to get in the mud over stuff like this, you know, you're just like, and so I know it's online. I know people have a problem and I could tell you the stories of the people that think Jesus culture is worse than abortion for this generation. Wow. But, but, but at the end of the day, I'm like, dude, we've got too much good stuff going on to sit here and worried about, you know, whatever this is saying. So one, I don't see it a lot and I am absolutely in charge of that. I had a guy yesterday, literally we just had Um, this whole thing with in Georgia and about the killing of that young of that black man. And so I just posted something online about on my Instagram about man, I just don't really know what to say in these moments, but I'm walking with people of color and they're hurting deep whatever. And somebody gets online, somebody DMs me, there's so much more to this story, why would you do this? And and so I don't respond. I just don't respond. I didn't block him, but I don't respond. But then he responds back with something around your leadership is disgusting. And, and I'm like, Oh, block, <laughs> Like, like this is like, I don't, I'm not even just, I'm going to block and move on. I'm, so, so at some level, I just don't pay attention to it. Yeah. And I'm in charge of that and I can move on and you can do whatever. Um, uh, But the other thing is, honestly, my heart, and this is going to sound so spiritual. It's going to sound like I'm amazing. My heart really grieves over people that are caught in that level of deception or their lives would be so wrapped up. We had a lady, I I spoke at a Presbyterian church here in town. They invited me. When we came to Sacramento, built great relationships with people. And um, the pastor at this Presbyterian church, a really significant Presbyterian church, said, would you come speak on a Sunday morning? And I said, dude, I'd be honored. Really great guy. It was an honor. Never, like, I'm like, I'd love to take that. So about a week before he gets a hold of me and he said, Hey, um, I just want you to know there's going to be some people protesting you. And I've never been protested. I'm not that big of a deal. And I'll, I'm not just saying that. It's like people know our worship. They don't know me. Like, yeah. they, they, you know, they got, a, they, they don't know me. So I said, uh, he goes, I'm really, I, 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 I said, please do not. If, if you're part of our, don't. And they're going to protest. And, uh, I said, honestly, uh, no big deal. I'm fine. I'm totally good. I go preach. Great time. I'm driving out of the parking lot, and there's a lady holding a sign, and she just looks sad. And she's holding a sign, and the sign said, Banning believes Jesus isn't God. And uh, I wanted to stop and roll the window down and go, hey, I can clear this up right now if you like. <laughs> but – but I just drove by, and in all honesty, I'm not trying to sound super spiritual or pious. But my heart just was heavy for. Her. Yeah. I thought nobody's nobody's supposed to live like that. No. Nobody's supposed to live. In in whatever whatever is going on, where you would show up to a church to picket and protest somebody yeah. with not even the right information that 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 would be your life.
1: Yeah.
0: Oh, dude, my heart. I honestly just went away and thought. Oh man, that's not how you're supposed to live. Like my heart is just so broken for you. So, so I ignore most of it. I laugh at some of it. <laughs> and then I, I, and then my heart's broken on it. I'll tell you what the one I laughed at. Tell me. Jesus culture, Um there's these guys that don't like us. And, and, um and so, and they've got like a TV show, they got a podcast, they got all this other stuff. So I don't see it much, but somebody sent, me this link. He said, "You got to watch this." So on their TV show, they were they said they said Jesus culture is teaching a generation to treat God like a girlfriend. They're they're causing a generation to treat God like a girlfriend and, and sing to him like he's their girlfriend. And and so they they showed the um they showed the uh, the lyrics of a song that we didn't even write. We sang the song, but it was a cover. It was like a Daryl Evan. Do you know the song? I, I'm in, uh, uh, I'm in love with you is a Daryl Evans song. Anyway,
1: okay, yeah. So they
0: put the lyrics up, and they said, and they said this. They sang the song. And they got to the part where it says, "I'm in love with you," and it said, "I am in lust with you." And this guy went off about how we, are our, our, our happy generation sing that they lust after God, which isn't even the lyric. This is bad journalism. And part of it was like, <laughs> it's just hard not to go. Oh, uh, I don't even know what to say right now. It's just, so that's how we get through it. Honestly, I try to have a heart for people. Yeah. ignore most of it. And then sometimes they just look at it and go,
1: that is so silly. Like, how can anybody even take you serious? But anyways. Do you know something? I, I had a guy who hated me for a long time, probably two and a half years. And his he. it's almost like his full-time job became making animated clips or – audio clips of cutting and pasting 10 of my sermons together. So it sounds like, and you kind of think, gosh, with that amount of creativity, that guy could go and work for Walt Disney and become a millionaire, making yeah. cartoons or, <laughs> or working comedy. in that industry. Yeah, exactly. Hey, listen, so talking about the virus now, right, we've got, we got 32 minutes left, and, banning, it's great to have you on with us. Um, and for everybody watching, you can drop a, a question in the Q&A box at the bottom, and uh, we'll take some of those questions if we have time. And also to let everyone know that next Friday night, we've got Reggie Dabbs coming on, and so we're going to have a laugh and have a chat with Reggie, talk about his life and uh, get his in, inspiring story. So, listen, Banning, regarding the virus, um, I wonder for you, what's, what's the biggest challenge for Banning right now? What, what, are you, what are you finding the most difficult? Because, you know, every single one of us, pastors, leaders, whoever, we're, we're all finding at least one thing challenging and difficult. What would that be for you right now that you'd say, this is kind of the biggest challenge in my life right now? Yes. The in biggest lockdown. challenge
0: right now, well, some is based around staff. Our staff's doing great, but um, you do begin to feel disconnected from team. As much as you can be on Zoom and as much as that's happening, keeping our team connected, keeping our team um, head the right direction, keeping our team thriving, so much of our team culture is just built around connection and relationship. Uh, we're still efficient. We're still effective. We're still moving forward. But that that's a hurdle for me right now. But I think where I'm at right now is, is we found our groove leading in the, the crisis. I think leading out of the crisis is going to be harder. So I think leading in the crisis, we've got dialed in. Leading out of the crisis is the part that I think is is difficult in what to do, when to do it. How much am I interacting with what government is saying? How much am I, you know? Are we coming back with everybody six feet apart with masks, or is that just not even worth it? What's this, like, like, how do we do this? So, I, I think for me, the difficult part right now, um, the the difficult part. Well, uh, of course. The difficult the difficult part is, I think, looking forward right now, saying, "How do we lead out of this? Yeah, what does that look like? Yeah, and um, and I wouldn't say it's difficult, but that's the part that we're really running into. As far as in the current process, I I don't, man. I I'm trying to figure out what my soapbox is. I, I I I do not think that this virus is the Lord, and I am praying against it. I don't think the havoc it's wrecked. I don't think the economy it's hurting. I don't think the lives it's affecting. I, I do not think it's from the Lord. At the same time, I think there's some really beautiful things that God is doing in the midst of it. And it, it it's almost like God didn't send the storm, but there was much to learn for the disciples in the storm. <laughs> yeah, So did. he didn't send the storm, and he actually got up and calmed the storms, but in, but in the midst of the storm, there was, quite a, there was some stuff that they were learning. And I... I think that that would be as well for me of um, there's, there's some really beautiful things that God's teaching us in the midst of this thing. So somebody just asked the frustrating part. Uh, I, I don't know. The frustrating part, the frustrating part for me is, is there's just certain things you can't reproduce online. There's just, you just can't as, as, as amazing as online is, there's a life on life component laying hands on people not even feel i'm just talking about the laying hands the life on life that happens the yeah. worship together you, you know what i'm beginning to find right now is um like we were doing acoustic sets for a while and i'm like i'm done with acoustic like we're I, like whatever it is it's full band uh, you know there's certain things like that um that are still lacking but i don't even know if that answers your question but
1: yeah no it does and and actually you've inc- incorporated and included my next three questions regarding God and the pandemic, you know, uh, in Manchester, you know, this, you've been in Manchester quite a lot, Banning. Um, in 2017, we had that, that bombing that took place two blocks from where we are from our church auditorium. And, you know, I heard, I heard preachers around the place, you know, online, etc., saying this was, you know, God's will. This is, this is an act of God. Um, you know, I, I wanted to strangle some preachers. And then again, even right now, you've got people saying, you know, this is God. God's brought this on us um, to bring us to our knees, to repentance and things like that. And I know that we're of the same theological viewpoint, that actually this is not God, but God can turn this around for his glory. And God is working marvelously in the midst of it. I I saw a a cartoon clip just a, a few weeks ago of the devil and Jesus stood next to the planet. And the devil says, I've shut down every one of your churches. And Jesus responded, I've opened up a church in every house kind of thing. You know what I mean? And kind of th- that sense of the character. And-, and one of the things that's true about God is that God is restricted by his character, isn't he? So he, he-, he can't do something that's opposite to who he is. So how would you respond to you know a-, a crowded room of college students who are adamant that this is God or their argument would be, I could never worship a God who would bring a virus like this, and uh, you know, cause so many people to lose their lives and affect the world in such a way? How do you respond to that? Well,
0: I say it's lovingly. College students probably need to listen more than talk, but that's a different issue. <laughs> no, well, yeah. uh, it's okay.
1: another subject, huh? <laughs>
0: um, yeah, I, 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 obviously come, and I've got good friends that, that have have in theologies that would be different than mine would have different theology around the judgments of God and things like that. Yep. Um, I mentioned, I don't, I don't think that, I don't think God sends the storm. I think a fallen world and the enemy takes care of that one. Uh, but I think when you, I think the job description of Jesus and the job description of the devil is very clear. Jesus came to give life and life more abundantly. The, the devil came to steal, kill and destroy. And so, I think when you look at the, what's happening with this virus that it's, it's like, oh, it just isn't the Lord. God didn't send this thing. And so, um, but at the same time, we live with an enemy and we live in a fallen world where there, we live in a broken, fallen world where there are viruses and there are all this type of stuff. And, and I think what God is trying to teach us, I don't want to preach, preach at you, but I think in the midst of this, because see here's the deal if 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 the storm was God, jesus wouldn't have calmed it mm. right because he's going against the will of god
1: mm-hmm.
0: if, if it was like, well, well, this storm is from God, but when when I understand the storm isn't from God, I begin to learn about my authority and and I think in the midst of this, God is not just wanting us to bring to us to a place of peace. He wants to bring us to a place of authority. And so if I could just unpack this. Wow. One second. That's
1: awesome. I think
0: the first month of this crisis was everybody just trying to find peace. I mean yeah. I mean national anxiety, worry, fear, hoarding, all this type of stuff's going on. And and as pastors and leaders, we're just trying to like every post and meme and scripture and was all like on peace and and worry and anxiety and we're trying to get people to a place of peace but there is another level past peace and, and this is what um I, I just i just did a sermon i talked about this with this is the picture that i saw was that you know when you mountain climb mount everest is the tallest mountain in the world above the sea i forget it you're gonna uh, i'm gonna butcher it, but it's like thirty-six thousand feet it's big but and it's and it's a two month it's 60 to 65 days if you want to get to the top of Everest. But the base camp, the base camp alone is a pretty serious hike. Yeah, It's at 17,700 feet. And it takes, you fly to Kathmandu, and then you fly into another little town, and then from there, it's a seven-day hike to get to the base camp, where then you'll actually start to climb to get to the summit. And the picture that I had was, in the midst of this thing, God, like, he's wanting to get us to a place of peace. Because peace is our inheritance. Peace is our birthright. Peace is part of the atonement. The chastisement for his peace was upon us. So so all of us were fighting, and then boom, we get to peace. Like, all right, we're in peace. But the goal is not just to be in peace. The goal is not just that we get through the storm without worrying. We get the peace. So that then we can get to the summit, which is authority. Love it. It's not just peace in the storm, but it's authority over the storm. So I believe that God... And a lot of people, man, I just want to commend you. Well done getting to peace. Well done fighting for peace. Well done not partnering with fear. Well done getting to that place. But you're not done yet. Yeah. This is simply the launching pad to get to authority. The reason I share that is, is if your theology is that this storm is God, then you will never learn about your authority in the earth. And God's trying to teach you not just how to get through the storm, but how to have authority over the storm. If you're confused about who sent the storm, then you're never going to really be able to fully step into the authority God's given you to make decrees over storms in your life and over crisis in your life. Love that, love that. So my theology would be that I, I think that a fallen world and an enemy that is bent on our destruction takes care of storms. Yeah. Uh, but our job is to, is to, is to have peace in the midst of tribulation. And ultimately this is Jesus. He said, he said, listen, in the world, you have tribulation. He said, he said, but don't worry. You'll get, he said, but, but in me, you have peace because I've overcome it. So it's not just that I have peace in the midst of tribulation, it's that I overcome the tribulation. That there's just another level in the midst Beautiful. God's trying to teach us in all this. And this is my big heart as a pastor, is I don't want people to miss that moment. Like there's a moment right now. Come on. To trust God, to learn about your authority, to fight for a place of peace, to know God as your provider, to know God as your protector. And don't miss that moment. So that's that's why uh, that whole statement that I just said came from. If you're confused about where this storm came from, you're not going to be pressing in to understand your authority
1: over the storm. Love it, love it, and not just this storm, but every storm you'll ever face from now until you yes. step into Jesus' presence. Yeah, this is a, That's
0: a, what you just said right there. I think is brilliant because we're acting like this is the first storm we've ever been in. Listen. <laughs> You've been in storms before. You've been in storms of uncertainty. You've been yes. in storms of financial trouble. You've been yes. in storms of health issues. You've been yes. in storms of relational marriage problems. And guess what? You're you're going to encounter storms again. This storm is being experienced by everybody simultaneously. But it's not like you've never been through a storm. It's not like you've never had to trust God for provision. It's not like you've never had to fix your marriage. You know, a lot of people, their marriage is hurting right now because... Press, I mean, pressure, anxiety uh, um, are exposing cracks. And and so they're struggling. But it's not like you've never had marital problems before. Uh, and you're going to, and if you have so learn your authority
1: over those things. It's a, it's a huge one. Yeah, beautiful. I love that. Um, loads of questions coming in. I've got loads of questions typed up here to, to ask you, Banning. Uh, I think that, you know, at the beginning of, of our interview tonight, we talked about hosting the presence of God. And, and hosting the presence of God is the place of peace. It's the place of increasing authority. Can you give us a snapshot for everybody watching this right now? You know, this is going to be live for 24 hours afterwards as well. And we're recording this as well, Banning, um, for people. What, what is the practice for, for you for hosting the presence of God in your life? What, what does that look like? And how do you become a bigger carrier, in a sense, of the presence of God of the anointing, of, in a sense, the manifest presence of God. What does that look like for you? Yeah.
0: Well, obviously, it's relational. I mean, this thing is is purely relational. The presence of God is the person of God. Uh, It's it's not like a—I'm saying this because it's not like kind of some mystical moment. It's just it's the person of God, and it's just walking with Him. Uh you know as simple as it is, the book years ago, practicing his presence, and then there was another one combined with it, but just it's that constant awareness of God with us it's that constant awareness of God with us. I remember um years ago the Lord spoke to me and he said he just he just said a, it was super simple, but he just said i'm always available when you turn your attention and your affection to me, your me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I think for me, David prayed this. David prayed in the Psalms. He said, Give me an undivided heart. Or or one translation says, Unite my heart. What I know is this is that my heart gets divided in those areas. My heart gets divided in its attention. My heart gets divided in its affections. And all of a sudden and, and David just prayed, God, unite my heart. Like bring those areas of my heart that have been attentive to other things, that have been affectionate for other things, bring those back and give me an undivided heart. Give me a unified heart. And I think it starts with that. It just starts with that thing that just says, God, I want my attention. And and listen, I'm watching movies, and I'm watching Netflix, and I'm hanging out with my family. And, you know, it's like we we live real life. We're real people. We're not monks. I enjoy life. I enjoy watching basketball and, like, like, so, but the point is, it's that, it's that consistently, even when you wake up in the morning, it's that you would just turn your heart to God and just say, today my attention and my affection is on you. It's when mm-hmm. I go to sleep at night that I would just turn my heart to God and just say, my attention and my affection is on you. Throughout the day that I would just have regular check-ins. And just say that when I get into the present, when I get into worship, I just realize that, that what Matt, that I just want to be with you, that your presence with me, it's God with us. It's Emmanuel. This is the thing. God is with us. And so hosting the presence of God is really about that for me. It's about yeah. just consistently turning our attention and affection to him. And then, I mean, I, we all know that the results of the presence of God and, and how it transforms you and changes you and, readjust you and realign you and uh you know all that type of stuff but for me that's not pra- it's that practical yeah consistently stop and turn your attention and your affections to god yes. and and continually pray god give me an undivided heart in this area I love my heart has been divided in my attention and my affections and i want them to be on you and then walking with him i mean this is kind of crazy but Just walking with them. I uh, um, I had a uh, uh, what would be an example recently? Um, I I was I was stressed about I was going I don't wear suits much. This is a simple thing. I don't wear suits much, and I had to go to a wedding, and the suit that I do have didn't fit or something, so I needed to get a suit. But I only wear them like once a year. I didn't really want to spend any money, anyway. So I went to like H and M. You ever been to H and M? It, it, like they they have like they've got stuff it's cheap but it's limited like you don't only get your size something silly I just but I walked in I went and and the suit that I wanted there was only one pair of pants and it was my size and I'm just telling you I was in the store and I could just I just was like it's the Lord with me right now I, it sounds <laughs> so it sounds so silly right it sounds or it sounds just so kid like but i it was this awareness that this is God walking with me. This is God interested in my, this is God with me right now. Saying Love it. it. was such a yeah. thing like Saturday morning and I had to get it back. It was something, but it was him drawing close to me and caring. And I think if we can pay attention to that stuff, that if we can just become more aware of, oh, that's God drawing close to me. That's God saying he loves me. That's God. Like just an awareness of God with us is when, because his presence is with us. His presence is with us right now. It's our awareness of his presence that needs to increase. We talk about this all the time. And Brian and Katie Torwalt, which I love their song, but we use that phrase, you know, when you walk into the room. Well, in reality, God's already in the room. He didn't like, he wasn't in the room and then walked in the room. But the analogy is our hearts just became aware of him.
1: Yeah, great. We just we just
0: surrendered Love to the it. awareness of his presence. And so in H&M, in H&M, with a silly little thing like a chance that worked for me when I was a little bit stressed about trying to go get the thing, all of a sudden there's just an awareness. Man, God's with me. God's with me. And I think just really consistently, this is the journey of our life, right? Just growing
1: in that area, I think, just puts things in perspective. Yeah, beautiful. I love that. Um, Banning, we've had a great question come in from a friend. He's a pastor over in Nottingham. And he wants is to know. that where Robin Hood was from? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And Robin Hood was a real person. Um, here's the question. It's going to come up here. What do you hope changes post COVID-19 and what do you hope stays the same? Let's think about, let's, let, let's, let's, find two angles for that. Let's think about in the church world and then let's find, you know, for the y- United States of America. Okay. Well,
0: when it comes to the world, I hope what, I hope what, 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 uh, I hope what changes is people's, I think in crisis we encounter our frailty and our humanity both Christians and unbelievers. I think we have relied on and leaned on our own efforts and our own strength. So I am praying that what changes is is that um, that there was a picture. Somebody gave me a picture in Song of Solomon, the verse where it says that that she came out of the wilderness leaning on her beloved. And there's this picture that in the wilderness – she found out the things that she was relying on, the things that she was leaning on, and I would say for us, our effort, our programs, all this type of stuff, that, that, that we would say, we can't, we don't lean on those, we're going to be leaning on Jesus, that we would come out leaning on Jesus, that we would come in out with the realization that we're not the ones, it's not our effort that's building the church, it's Jesus that's building the church, it's not our, it's not our effort that's sustaining us, it's Him, and He's our source. I'm praying that that um, we would get greater clarity of what really matters. And that even as we go back to things, it would be with a greater understanding of what matters. Uh, it, we started Jesus Culture in 1999, uh, we started Jesus Culture in 1999, and um, for years we didn't have money, no money. So we were making our own stage. We, like, we were literally jimmy rigging things together for stage lights for these youth conferences. But, but a few years later, the conference was starting to grow, and we had some money now in our budget, and so we loved it. We were spending money on lights, and we were putting <laughs> so much effort into the look and the feel of things. And then in 2004, um, the guy who was kind of our creative guy in youth group, his grandfather died, so we did no work on the stage at all, none. It was like a couple park and just the blank stage of the church. And I remember going to the conference that year going like, yeah, we didn't do anything the stage. And we've been and and it was one of the most powerful conferences I'd ever been to. I mean, the presence of God was so strong. Kids with lives were being changed, they were of God. It's like they didn't even notice. They didn't even notice the stage wasn't there. And I just remember sitting there going, it is amazing how much amount of effort and attention, I'm putting on something that in the end doesn't even matter. (laughs) In the end, it's not what makes impact. Listen, you have lights, we have lights, we do excellence. We bring our best, and we continue to do that. But I hope that even as we go back to life, even as we go back to all that type of stuff, that we would have a greater understanding that that's not actually what transforms lives. That's not actually what's building the church. And if all that was gone, he would still come and still build his church. If that makes sense. But and and I would just say this: I really love. I think we're going to become so much more effective in harnessing the power of online, but also understanding the limitations of online. Yeah, so This good. is what I think's happened. I think online, we, I think online is an incredible front door, and a, and an incomplete house. I think right. it's a great thing to walk in it's a great it's a horrible place to live. Yeah. So I hope what stays is this unbelievably big front door that just opened. Like like the church has never before had such a large front door that just got wide open because of the internet. Yeah. Now again I don't think we're supposed to live in the front door but I hope when we go back to meeting and gathering in place that we would have a deeper understanding of how powerful online can be to reach people and as a front door, but how lacking and inadequate it is when it comes to true discipleship and life on life transformation. So I, that's a long answer for that, but
1: I got to shorten my answers. <laughs> no, it's great. I'm, I'm trying to adjust between all the questions that are coming in here at, at, at this moment, but really appreciate you being with us. And just to remind everyone Next week, we've got Reggie Dabbs with us online. So Reggie's going to be talking about his story as well, which would be great. It's an inspiring story. Banning, I I think that um, when we think about Jesus culture, obviously, you know, everybody knows about Jesus culture. The world is singing your songs. We're inspired by by your leadership and your ministry. Um, Maybe we can jump into a real focus just on Jesus culture for a second. What was the last sermon you preached on stage at Jesus Culture, when we could last meet together. Do you remember what that was? I don't. Okay. Um, well, my, let, me jump, my, let, my, let me jump into this then. At my, what, moment, at what moment did you realize that church was never going to be, well, was going to have to change? Where were you when you heard lockdown, no more doing church on a Sunday? What did yeah, that look yeah. like for you?
0: yeah well, my last sermon we were in a discipleship series, so it was on uh, it was on discipleship. Yeah. I was in Colorado it was my birthday here's why I remember it. I turned forty four on March twelfth and we had a youth conference March thirteenth and fourteenth so March fifteenth was the first Sunday we had to go online and everything was changing in California and it was like orders and we're trying to figure out how bad this is and so we had we had fifteen hundred young people coming to a conference March thirteenth and we were like Things change so fast. Now you look back, you're like, but so we're trying to like, Hey, we're going to do it. I wanted to get through the weekend. So it was March 12th on my birthday. I was in Colorado in Denver speaking to a pastor's gathering for a friend. And then was going to fly home the next day for our youth conference. And it was there that all of a sudden they said, um, they said, Hey, he just said, we can only do gatherings at 10 in California. And so we pivoted quickly. But even then, I was still. We it was still the sense of, uh, you know, we'll probably be back in a couple of weeks. So I don't know when it was, but somewhere all of a sudden it hit. Oh no, we're gonna have to hunker down. Like it's <laughs> gonna be a while. Like, yeah. This is this is not this is not. We'll be back by Easter. Uh, this, I mean, we started looking at things and think we may not be back till we we said this at the very beginning. We started planning that we might not be back till July. So I think that it was my birthday that we realized we got to go online. But it was maybe a week or so after that, two weeks after that, that we realized, oh no, no, no! Like we actually have to settle in on this thing. So, and that, yeah. and now, and, and probably now realizing, church won't be the same. <laughs> Even though yeah. we come back, it won't be the same. And I think that
1: can be a beautiful thing. Yeah. But yeah. Brilliant. Um, what? What's what? One thing are you telling your church leaders right now at Jesus Culture that you're saying? hang on to this, hold the line on this. What's, what's, what's the one thing of the many that you would say would would be key?
0: Wow, man, it just depends strategically. I'm telling them that there are things that we can do right now. We have a gift in front of us. There's something as simple as calling your database. We've been wanting to call our database. We have this big old massive database because people, so many people have come through over the last so many years. It's kind of been a nightmare and we've just been calling our database and the basics the basics of just getting on the phone and calling somebody has been so powerful and impactful for our church. Yeah, So right. I'm definitely trying to tell our staff, Hey, in this moment, let's capitalize on this moment to be able to do some things that we weren't doing before to be able to, whatever, strategically go after some stuff, do some basics again. Like let's just do some, we've got time now freed up. Let's just do some basics of pastoring people. And then I'm just telling them, um, I I am telling them to stay in decree mode. So I don't, this is, what I mean by this is right before, um, right before this thing hit, the Lord had been talking to me about apostolic decrees and that mm-hmm. he was going to teach us about the authority on our decrees. Love it. So all of a sudden this thing hits and I'm just, I'm just telling our team, listen, we're going to declare some things and and they were little things like um, you know, when the Israelites when, when the plagues hit Egypt, when the plagues hit Egypt, the, the, the plagues in Egypt didn't affect the resources of the Israelites. When there was three days of darkness, nobody left their house for three days, there was still light in the dwellings of the Israelites. So i know, I'm, I I I was telling our team, listen, we are going to just you're going to speak life over people. We're gonna we're gonna declare. Listen, there may be a plague, but the plague. We are part of a different economy. We are connected to a different kingdom, and we did. We're full on just having our team just declaring like, you know, like this plague did it, Egypt. They didn't affect us. There was dark. There was the darkness of uncertainty. There was the darkness of fear. There was the darkness of economy shaking. But there was light in the Israelites. So so it's just trying to, I feel like our job as a team is to, one, really capitalize on what God is doing in the moment. There's a moment that we have right now. What is it? Pay attention to it. And let's capitalize on this moment to really lean in and do what God is. That might be as simple, like I said, as phone calls. God is moving on phone calls for us right now. But the other thing is this. is Our job as leaders is to speak light. It's to speak hope. It's to speak peace to people, not because we're cheerleaders, but because the word of the Lord is in us because we're going to bring the word of the Lord to people. We're not just positive. We're not just optimistic. We have heard the word of the Lord in secret and we are coming out saying, no, God is going to provide. He is going to protect. This is the moment where the church will shine. This is the moment where God is going to bring prodigals back home. This is the moment where that neighbor uh, you can give them toilet paper, you know, it's, that, it's those types of things. I, I want to say this real quick. This is the prayer. This is my declaration. I don't want to be cheesy. I don't want to be televangelisty. but I tell you this, God is not just going to make you an overcomer. He's going to make you more than an overcomer. You are going to learn in this season that God is your source, and you are going to learn that he doesn't just want to get you through this, that you are going to be more than an overcomer. So my prayer for you right now is that you would encounter God in the wilderness in a way that you never have, that you would have clarity. He is your source and that you would come out not just as an
1: overcomer, but as more than an overcomer. Amen. Amen. Spanning, thanks so much. We love you and can't wait to have you home soon.
0: Thank you for listening to this audacious podcast. We'd love for you to join us at one of our church services happening every Sunday, 10, 12, and 5.30 p.m.